Uh, just, just living out of suitcase, you know, especially in Boston, we go on a West Coast trip twice a year. That's 13 days, eight different cities, you know. There's been plenty of times where I've been going to the hotel desk, like, my key doesn't work, my key doesn't work. She's like, sir, you're not at this hotel. Like, <laughs> oh, it's a hotel from the last city. Yeah, hotel from the last city. <laughs> Forget what room I'm in, it's, it, it, it catches up with you. Welcome to Needing Dough, the podcast presented by Uninterrupted and Chase. I'm Andrew Hawkins, a.k.a. Hawk, and I am excited to be back as your host for season three of the show. On Needing Dough, we talk to pro athletes and discuss the financial lessons that they've learned throughout their personal and professional lives. From that first life-changing paycheck to how they're managing their money today. I'm here to guide you through these exclusive conversations between uninterrupted CEO Maverick Carter and some of the best athletes in the entire world. We have an incredible lineup for you for this season. As a former NFL wide receiver myself, I'm going to add some personal perspective on how these lessons from legends translate to you in your life. Before we get started with this conversation featuring 21-year-old basketball phenom Jason Tatum, this show is brought to you by Uninterrupted and Chase. Please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your shows. It is free, it helps others find the show, and that way you will never miss an episode. And now, I am pleased to introduce the young superstar in the making, Jason Tatum himself. Let me give you some background on Mr. Tatum. He was named the 2016 Gatorade National Player of the Year while playing for Duke University. And then, at the age of 19, he was drafted by the Celtics and, by most accounts, had one hell of a rookie season. In this episode of Needing Dough, you'll hear him talk about his humble beginnings in St. Louis, Missouri, why he won't share his credit score, and how he learned to handle all the travel time involved in playing in the NBA. So let's get to it. My man Maverick Carter in conversation with the incredibly talented and hardworking Jason Tatum. So Jason and I were talking back uh, backstage a little bit. You're from St. Louis, right? Right. How was the uh, adjustment to coming from St. Louis? You lived there your whole life. You obviously went to Duke. Um, what was the transition like, the difference between St. Louis and Boston? I think the biggest difference was St. Louis is really small, the population. Everybody here talks a lot faster, <laughs> uh, has a different pace about themselves, and, and the traffic, uh, something I'm still trying to get used to. Because in St. Louis, you can get from one side of the city to the other side in 15 minutes. Not that, that's not the way in Boston. No, you got you to gotta plan your whole day <laughs> about what you want to do. And being that you're from St. Louis, I was telling Jason, I have family. My, my roots are from Missouri, from an even smaller place, and he's from a little tiny place called Mexico, Missouri. But people, to your point, move fast. Did you adjust to the pace, or did you try and get them to adjust to your pace? I, I just try to stay out the way. You know, yeah. uh, go to practice, get something to eat, go back home. Because uh, a lot of people were honking, honking at me. <laughs> First guy here, I didn't know where I was going. I was getting lost. People was giving me the finger. <laughs> so, uh, I people, had to adjust quick. People in Boston are aggressive. Yeah, they aggressive. are. So obviously you grew up in St. Louis struggling. Tell us what your house was like in St. Louis. What was your actual physical home like in St. Louis? It was a little under. Just you and your mom? And my dog. And your dog. dog. So it was like a little under like 850 square feet. Wow. Something like that. Two bedrooms. Low ceilings? Yeah, yeah. I could put my hand on the ceiling. At what age? When did you have your girls for it? Probably like sixth, seventh grade. I could, <laughs> I could touch the ceiling. 
uh, we had an unfinished basement because we had our washer and dryer down there. Uh, we shared a, a driveway. I used to joke with my mom. And I could touch. I could stand in one spot and touch every wall in the house. But for some reason, when I was younger, all my friends wanted to come, come over my house. They, everybody, went, we used to have like six people spend a night sleeping on the floor and the couch, three people in my bed. So you were raised obviously um, by your mom, who as I told you, I had the pleasure of meeting during the NBA playoffs, who's very opinionated, very smart. As a single mom who was raising, because your dad was off playing pro, what did, what were the things that she instilled in you that helped you become who you are today? She instilled, you know, everything. I, you know, I give all the credit to her for, you know, the person I am today, you know, even more off the court. Um, you know, she had me when she was 19. Uh, you know, I just had a, a son, you know, nine and a half months ago. Congratulations. Thank you. She wasn't as financially stable as I am, you know, when she had me. So she had, she had to work two jobs. I even had to go to class with my mom while she was in college. Wow. And, you know, just watching her work ethic and, you know, she never made any excuses. She graduated from college, got her doctorate, her master's and her law degree, Jeez. you know, all while, you know, raising me to be the young man I am today and making sure I was on top of, you know, my academics. Um, you know, just just watching her and get up every day, you know, you know, made you know it easier for me to understand that, you know, if I had the same work ethic, I could make my dream possible. Now I'm sure, just from the little bit of meeting her and from what you just told me, sounds like she has every degree possible. <laughs> um, she's probably a disciplinary, I assume, and stayed on top of you when it came to academics. But she also knows hoops. I've talked basketball with your mom. Does she stay on top of you as it related to basketball too? Now. Yeah. Back then and now, too. You know, when I was in high school, she came to every game. You know, she would sit front row. And, you know, she would yell at me, my coach, <laughs> my teammates. The refs. The refs, the other team. You know, she's always been very opinionated and, uh, you know, just very enthusiastic about, you know, what she cares about. And even today, you know, uh, and I know where she sits in the crowd, you know, out of all the, the 20,000 people in the garden, you know, if I do something wrong, you know, I can, I can hear her voice. Yeah, I, I can tell, because when she came down after that game, it sounded like she had some choice words that she was going to share with you and a couple other folks at the end of the game. She was telling me. Now, obviously, as you said, you, you watched your mom struggle, and I think now you're an NBA player making millions of dollars, but your mom raised you to your point at 19 with struggling, two jobs, this. Can you even imagine how hard it was, and you have a son now, to raise a kid the way she did, or, or could you even fathom that? No, uh, like you said, like now I'm in the NBA, I make millions of dollars, and you know we were living off thirty-eight thousand dollars. So I I give her credit all the time when I look at taxes and paying bills and, and everything that I have to do, and I always ask her like, how did how did we do it? Like how did we make it? And uh, you know, God willing, we always made a way. And was there early, did she ever let you see the struggle financially? Or did you learn things from her financially, how to save money, how to do things? Did you learn anything financially from her at an early age? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I could understand, you know, that, uh, you know, what we were going through. And we didn't necessarily have the money to talk about, you know, having a savings account because we, we lived check to check. But... As I got older and started understanding that the NBA was coming to reality, you know, she started talking to me about the importance of, of balancing, you know, all this money because, 
and it was gonna be it was gonna be new to both of us, you know, because um, we've never experienced anything like that. Exactly, and your dad played professional. I remember watching your dad in college on the backcourt at St. Louis, and then he played pro ball. Now, did his experiences help you too as you made your transition to college and pro ball? Because I know you, you grew up kind of in the game around pro players. You knew guys who played the level because your dad did. Yeah, uh, my dad was nowhere as near as good as I am. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fact. I watched his dad in college. He's not, you, hey, does he still think, does he still talk shit to you to this day? Like. Think he could get you? No. He's given up on that dream. First time I beat him, I was in eighth grade, and that's that's about the last time we ever played. One on one? Yeah, one on one. And then he's like, the hell with this, I'm not playing this guy. He'll rebound for me, but he don't want to <laughs> play with no more. He wasn't the best, but he understood the game. And you know, from a young age, you know, he put the ball in my hand and he just taught me how to play the game and think the game the right way. And uh it's something I always appreciate. And, you know, he was tough on me, you know, and and behind closed doors, in front of everybody. You know, he, he always pushed me and wanted me to be the best. And does he still push you to this day? He's a lot nicer now. <laughs> my, my mom's a mean one. Your mom's on you, she's on you. My dad, tell me, good game or bad game, tell me good job, but no matter if I score 28 or eight, my mom always gonna find something wrong that I did. That, that's how she has all those degrees, exactly. Now, you're, um, another mentor of yours is Bradley Beal. Um, what was the best advice you got as you went into your rookie year? Man, Brad, Brad gave me a lot of advice. Uh, he, was, he was sort of like the big brother that I didn't have because um, six or seven years apart, we grew up in the same neighborhood, he, two blocks over. So I remember it, you know, every summer he would come back to St. Louis and he would pick me up every morning at like 10 o'clock. Even when I was in high school, he would come back every summer, pick me up every morning, take me to the gym, we'd work out, chill. You know, that was extremely valuable to me because he was always somebody I looked up to. And so for you know, him to come back to St. Louis and take me under his wing and try to help me get to that next level was uh, more than I could ever imagine. And did you ever talk about finance with him or did he ever talk to you about any mistakes that he made? Did he ever talk to you about that transition and how he's going through that and dealing with it? Or did you see stuff? No, he, he definitely talked about it because I remember I remember as soon as he got drafted, I was like, yo, you got to get a Bentley, a Range Rover, <laughs> big house. And he was like, yo, he was like, it's not how it works. Taxes, you got to cut that in half. Then you have to save, you got agents to pay. And he was like, while you're, you know, you're making a lot of money on your rookie deal, um, you still have to save because, you know, a lot of guys get injured. You know, tomorrow's not promised. You never know what happens, exactly. So he said, you can't really start living that lifestyle that everybody, you know, wants to live. And, until you get that $100 million contract, and then you can have a lot more fun. Exactly. Now, <laughs> yeah, you can have a lot more fun, for sure. Um, now, this is your second season. Obviously, you were a rookie last year who happened to be a very talented rookie and was a great player, but you were still a rookie. Did you go through shit that rookies go through? Did the team put you through rookie stuff? Do the Celtics have traditions or things that they do to uh, rookies? I guess before Brad Stevens got there, they did, um, but, you know, Brad is not a big fan of rookie hazing, oh, so gotcha. very appreciative of that. <laughs> so uh, he saved you. Yeah, only thing I had to do was like pass out towels after the game, but uh, I n never had to do anything Crazy. extra. Yeah. So, but even in the games that you led the team in scoring a ball, you still had to pass out towels and 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 you had to do that rookie deed. Yeah, and to the 
to the playoffs came. Gosh, you didn't they ease that for you? I, I told somebody else to get the ticket. <laughs> <laughs> was there another rookie with you last year? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was like six of us. Oh, really? Six rookies. That went the whole year? Mm hmm. So you made one of them go do it? I, did, I asked them nicely. <laughs> I didn't but anyway, are you happy to not be a rookie anymore? Does it feel good to now you're not a rookie? You feel like I'm one of the guys, like I'm not a rookie anymore, I'm one of the guys now? Yeah, uh, and I just, I like the idea of, you know, not, my nickname was Rook last year. Everything, good job, Rook. Rook, do this, Rook, get the towels. So <laughs> even, even when I would do something on TV and I would watch the highlights, they'd be like, he did an amazing job. For a rookie. For a rookie, exactly. Yeah. They used to just drive me insane. Exactly. And and you were playing for the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics are one of the eight, ten greatest franchises in the world. But you walked in the locker room. You were 18 when the season started? 19. 19. Was there anything that surprised you about a professional locker room, about being in a locker room with pros that you were like, damn, I wasn't expecting that shit. Or that happened. I wasn't expecting for that to happen. I came from Duke, which is uh, you know one of the top programs in college basketball. And uh, the thing that's different from college, college is um, so much more structured, and everything is together. Like when I was in college, we had one big speaker. Everybody had to listen to the same song. When you get into the NBA, everybody got headphones on. Everybody listens to their own thing, right? Some guys like when I walk in the locker room, it's only four of us, and then it's another 12 people coming like at their own time and. It was just something I had to get used to. Because when college, we all walked in at the same time, had the same outfit, like we just, everything was together. And it's not like that in the NBA. It's not like that at all. And is it, you see certain guys might wear suits to the game every game. Some guys might wear jeans. How did you figure out what, what was comfortable and what fit for you? Just whatever games were going to be on TV, that's, when, that's the ones I dress nicer for. <laughs> <laughs> so now we know your secret. Yeah, and if it's not on TV, I just wear a sweatsuit. Take it easy. Nobody gonna see it. Making the jump from college sports to the pros is a serious trip. Believe me. I mean, in general, it's tough to go from doing something you've done your whole life for free to making more money than you've ever seen doing it. I would warn young athletes all the time that now that you have more money and more free time in the off seasons, than you've ever had in your lives, it's important to be careful. You see, as a pro athlete, you only get paid during the season. And during the season is when most of your time is gone. You're practicing, you have meetings, you're training, you're eating right, you're doing all these things to focus on winning football, basketball, matches, you name it. But then comes the off season. And in the off season, there's nothing but money, free time and opportunity. As a rookie, because I had so much free time, I ended up finding myself shopping, taking trips, buying any and everything that I wanted under the sun, mostly because I didn't have a better way to fill my time. By the time I went back to training camp for my second season, you look at your bank account and you're kind of wondering where all the money went. If you're not cognizant of it, it could become a real problem. And that goes for transitioning from one place to another and anything you're doing in life. Bottom line, if you're not careful, you can lose yourself. And if you lose yourself, you start making bad decisions in your personal life and bad decisions with your money. Jason's managing to avoid this, at least in part, by relying on the guidance of mentors to see him through. 
Was there anyone who grabbed you when you came in the locker room and was like, yo, Rook, let me give you some advice about life, about money, about the team, about playing in the league? Was there someone who kind of grabbed you and put, took you under their wing? Yeah, uh, Kyrie and Marcus Morris. Um, you know, those are two guys that, you know, I relied on a lot last year, just about a lot of different things, what to expect, um, finance, you know, how did they pick a agent, basketball, just any questions I had, those are the two guys I would always ask. And did you ever feel pressure? Because I know, you know, I've seen and been around a lot of teams. When you come into that locker room as a rookie, and you're 18, and to your point, you are making millions, but there's Kyrie's been making millions for a long time, and he's made a lot. And uh, Morris has been in the league a long time, and Al. So those guys have different living habits than you should or shouldn't have. Did you ever feel any pressure from that? No. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's definitely a lot of things that they can do that I can't. But did you know that right away, or did it take you a while to realize that? No, I, I understood that. Um, you know, you, you might want to. When, you know, when you see you know, these guys, all these nice chains on, oh, nice watches, flying private. <laughs> and then you're like, I don't get it paid as much as he does on the 1st and 15th. So I got to wait a couple of years for that. Exactly. You realize, so you knew that right off the bat. Yeah. The difference between my life and your life is, in my career, I've made more money as I've gotten older, but I'm now 37. So as I've gotten older, more experience, I made more money. You actually get paid more the younger you are. As an athlete, you're better. Have you ever thought about it that way? Yeah, uh, a little bit, which is, it makes it tough, which I've always appreciated having my mom in my corner. Um, because being 19 and getting instantly, you know, just millions of dollars thrown at you, you know, it's a lot of guys, you know, that you can look back at have lost all their money. Of course. And, you know, I appreciate the fact that, you know, the guys that have, you know, went through that making documentaries and, you know, talking about what not to do. And, you know, kids like me and younger, you know, we see things like that. And, you know, when they come, when we're at the LeBron camp or stuff and they come back and tell us how to save and, you know, not do what they did, you know, it, it has to be tough for them to talk about it, but, you know, for them to help the younger kids out, you know, it, it really goes a long way. Exactly. And does your mom help you with everything finances? Because she has a law degree. Does she help you with kind of everything that you do? Yeah, she kind of acts as like the overseer for my financial advisor, accountant, agent, and my business manager. And, you know, she she's new to this as well. You know, if it is something that she's not a thousand percent sure on, you know, she'll always try to find the answer, ask for help. Um, Got it. And do you ask a lot of questions too? Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're in this together. Of course. Uh, you know, we're, we're brand new to this and we talk about it. She talks about my accountant and stuff every day. You know, me and her meet and with him probably twice a month because I'm just trying to get a better understanding of, you know, how all of this works. Did it ever feel overwhelming for you last year? Like, damn, this is a lot coming at me. At certain times because, you know, a new thing when, when you get all this money is so many people that, you know, want to be your friends. <laughs> of course. <laughs> have these business ideas, you know, of trying course. to get in contact with you and this. Cousins you haven't heard from in forever. Aunts, uncles. You didn't even know. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's hard trying to find out who's really genuine, you know, now that you have all this money. Um, you know, and it's tough because you want to try to balance everything all while basketball is the main priority because without, you know, 
if you don't do well on the court, all this could could go, go away. away. Exactly. So, um, you know, like I said, you know, my mom has been. But say, do you filter? She seems like a person you can filter it all through her. Yeah, anybody I don't want to talk to, I'm like, call my mama. <laughs> exactly. And I'm sure some of them go okay, and they never call her because they don't want to. They don't want to have that phone call with her about that. But you know, it's what did you find the hardest part about off the floor? Because you obviously seem to adapt on the floor pretty well. Because you were great kind of right from the beginning. What was the hardest part off the floor that you had a tough time digesting that it took you a little while to understand? The hardest thing off the floor was, I think, managing your time because um, time is priceless, especially you know now that I, I had a, a kid, um, trying to balance all my obligations off the court all while being home, all while getting a proper rest. I needed to be ready to perform the way I needed to to play it, you know, on the game. It's like anything you adjust, you know, you learn from what doesn't work, what does work, and you get better over time. Got it, and was was the traveling part hard of it too? Like, cause you obviously, traveling in the NBA versus traveling at Duke was much different. Yeah, cause in college, you, know, you go, there's only one game and then you come back. So you go for a day and a half. And, and you, you don't back. spend any of your own money really in college. They feed you. They put you in a room, but on the road in the NBA, if you're in LA, you might want to hit Rodale Drive, you might want to go to dinner at, you know, catch, whatever. It's a lot different, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can have more fun, you know, when you're in the NBA. But, <laughs> exactly. Uh, just, just living out of suitcase, you know, especially in Boston. We go on a West Coast trip twice a year. That's 13 days, eight different cities, you know. There's been plenty of times where I'll be going to the hotel desk like, my key doesn't work, my key doesn't work. She's like, sir, you're not at this hotel. Like, <laughs> oh, it's a hotel from the last city. Yeah, hotel from the <laughs> city. Forget what room I'm in. It's, it, it, it catches up with you. Exactly. So that's a time management. And rest is a big part of it, too, I'm sure. How long did it take you to get on a schedule? Like, do you do a pregame nap? Do you do a postgame? Did it take you a while to get on your own system, your own little system going? Yeah, it took me maybe a month or two to find out what works best for me because you think about what you did in college, it's not really going to work because it's just the timing is so different. Then you, you watch from the older guys and you understand that your body is a little bit different from theirs, so you may not need to do all that they're doing. So it just, it takes time. You, you got to figure out what works best for you and getting your mind and body right for the game. Now, in the life of a professional athlete, the frequent travel is something that can trip you up. And while Jason tolerates his crazy travel schedule because basketball is his passion, it's also a business. So how does he balance all that? Well, that's coming up right after the break. But first, all right, now let's get back to this conversation between my man Mav and Jason Tatum. Now you've been a great player since, as far as I know, high school, probably before that, and just loved to play basketball. You obviously loved to play. Reg, you worked out with Kobe. Uh, this summer, you're a student at a game, love to play the game. You probably would play the game for the rest of your life if you can, but at some point, you probably realized basketball was a business. When did you realize that? Yeah, I mean, I knew from a young age, maybe like freshman year of high school, that really? basketball was a business. Just from the standpoint of, you know, guys doing documentaries and, and, and talking about it and, you know, hearing about it from these camps I was going to and, and on TV. But then you really get a, a feel for it when you go to college. Like, you know, the, the idea that you can't make money off your own name while, you know, the, 
the schools are making so much money. And, and I love Duke. Like, if I could do it again, I would, I would go back. But, you know, there were times where my jersey would be in the store with a number zero on it. Nobody hasn't worn zero for 10 years until I got here. And my mom still had to go buy my jersey. Of course. You couldn't even give it to her for, yeah. No discount, not for free. Like, they, she still had to go buy my jersey. And it was little things like that. Like, it's kind of. And, and did it, in college, did that anger you a bit? I wasn't upset at Duke, you know, I think. You're not upset at Duke, but just the way the system works. Yeah, just the idea, like, I don't think there was a problem with a kid in college, you know, putting on Instagram, like, hey, I'll be at this location signing autographs for $10 and a t-shirt. Like, I think that should be, that should be fine. Exactly. And you know, the, the fact that these kids in college, you know, a lot of them come from a similar back, background as me. and. You know, for them, their parents may not be able to afford traveling to come see them play, and the school, NCAA won't allow the school to pay for their parents' travel. Is, it just it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and the fact that everybody else gets paid, you know, the sponsors pay money, the coaches get paid, the schools get paid, the TV, you know, pays a lot of money to put the games on TV. I can see how that easily could make you upset. Now, when you were playing AAU, did you look at that? Did you know that was a business going on there, too, before you even got to Duke? Yeah, uh, you know, you, you definitely hear about all the, the AAU programs getting money and, and the coaches getting money under the, under the table. And you know, there was a lot, of, a lot of things going on with that. And, you know, thankfully my parents were, you know, my mom always talked about she never wanted to have to owe somebody for something that she took exactly. for such a small period of time that could affect, you know, maybe the rest of my life. Exactly. And when you went from being an amateur, which... I think it's total bullshit because when you're playing at Duke, you're not really playing men's basketball at Duke. You're not really an amateur. You're flying on a private plane, playing in front of 30,000 people on ESPN every night. But when you went, made that transition to becoming a professional, did your perception of actually money now that you were getting paid to play, did how you think about money change at all? Yeah. Um, and it was the first time I ever got paid for you know, something I've been doing since I was three. How did that feel, by the way, when you got that first check? Uh. So the first check I ever got was in uh, the summertime, you know, signing a Panini the trading card. For the trading card deal, yeah. So it was actually before I even got drafted. And I remember I got a check for $75,000. And it was like, I called my mom. I'm like, yo, ma, I just got paid. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, it was, it was the biggest check like, I, I'd ever seen. Like, it, was, it was something I, it was, I always remember that day. And was there something... Was there something you always said in your head, the minute I get my first check, I'm going to buy this? Was there something you always wanted? Like, was that Rolex it? Or was there, was there something you always wanted? Like, as soon as I get my first check, I'm going to go buy this. Uh, it was always, I'm going to get my mom something. So Of course. Uh, of course. Of course. With that first check, I put in the savings account. But then when I got drafted, I got my mom a, a new Escalade. Oh, you know, nice. she, she always liked trucks. I knew she was coming up here. I know it snows and, and rains a lot, so that was the first thing I got was I got her a truck. And what about for yourself? Uh, I mean, I got a place to stay, but um, the thing I was happiest about, I got a, I bought myself a, a Range Rover. Nice. Uh, so my first car I ever had was a 2009 off-white Chrysler 300. And I thought that was a Bentley. In high school? 
But well, I, it does have the fake Bentley grill on the yeah, front. It had, it had to be on there. Coming forward, you look like you're in the Bentley, but once we get the side angle, we're like, oh, shit, that's a Chrysler. That's a Chrysler. <laughs> but, you know, from the front, it looks like a Bentley. You had that in high school? Yeah, I got that uh, for my 16th birthday. It was, it was used, but... Uh, but it was yours. Couldn't tell me nothing. And your mom said, I'm sure your mom saved up and got that for you, right? You heard, you heard my dad, my grandpa, they all pitched in. And did you understand, at 16, could you feel and understand what they had to go through to make sure you were happy? It, even when I was younger, my mom always, um, I never went without, per se. Like, I had, a, I had a great childhood. I'm thankful for all that she did. But she let it be known that it didn't come easy. You know, that all her hard work and sacrifice to make sure I had a, a new pair of shoes when school started or I had a fresh pair of cleats, you know, for football practice that, you know, it was coming off, you know, her getting up every morning and putting the work in so that I would appreciate and take care of the things that I got instead of you know, just saying whatever. Just saying what it is, yeah. And listen, I know the feeling. I grew up with a single mom too. My mom, like yours, went to college at lunch break while she was at work and then would come see me. So I know what it means to sacrifice and save up for something, is there something you, you're feeling like you're saving for now that you want to get? Is there something that you haven't bought yourself yet that you're like, damn, when I get my next deal, I'm getting that, or I want this, or off-season crib in LA, or Miami, or something? <laughs> uh, when I get my next deal, yeah. I'm gonna go get me a red Ferrari. Whoa. Like, as soon as I sign the contract, I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Which right one do you want, the Ferrari, the 458? Which one? I don't know. I, I'm gonna figure the newest one. The new, oh, yeah, the, whichever one is new. You just give me the newest one. Are you a car guy? Is that your thing? Are you into cars? Yeah, yeah, I like cars. You like cars, all type of cars, or is there ones you certain ones? Old school, new school. You from St. Louis? I'm sure guys there drive old school whips there. Yeah, I'm. I, my dream car. What's I'm your dream car? Lamborghini. Lamborghini. One one day down the road. Down the road. Yeah. More than a Ferrari. Yeah. I like the Ferrari version of Lamborghini. I might get both. <laughs> <laughs> the way you shoot, you will be able to. When it comes to like off the court and you're looking to your point, people come at you with investments, deals, I'm sure your agent is great, finds you stuff. How do you filter through new opportunities? Do you let them go to your mom first or to you? How do you, what's kind of your system? Have you developed a system yet for looking at stuff? Yeah, uh, so my agent, you know, if the deal comes to him, you know, he'll talk to me about it. And the thing I look for most, most is, you know, how authentic and organic. Like, is it something that I really like? Because, you know, I don't want to do a, a deal for cat food, and I don't really like cats. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, I want to be compensated. And you know, just how much of my time will it, you know, take up? Because, like I said, timing is priceless. And, you know, being with the, the NBA, it takes up a lot of our time away from home and family. So... You know, I have to make sure it fits in, you know, that schedule. And do you want, are you one who, do you feel like in your gut you want to go after opportunities off the floor and, and do things that are, obviously you're going to focus on basketball, but do you want to do off the court things, endorsements or deals or investments? Is that what you want to do? Yeah, uh, you know, for two reasons. One is I've always wanted to build my brand, you know, and off the court and, you know, be known and seen in, in a different light and, uh, you know, for the other reason, you know, me and my mom always talked about saving the NBA money. So, you know, I have to, you know, make money off the court in order to do that. Exactly. I think, you know, obviously NBA players have a gigantic opportunity um, because, you know, globally you guys are 
soccer players and basketball players are the most known athletes around the world um, because of everything that happens on the floor because of social media. You social media, correct? And I think, you know, because it's fun as a fan to watch what basketball players do because it's like WWE but real life. It's not like fake. It's actually real. How do you look at social media? How do you use it? Do you use it to just tell your most authentic story or do you actually use it in your mind to let people know who you are? What's your view of it? Uh, I've been on social media. You know, social media has been a part of, you know, basically You grew my, up, yeah. yeah You're different life. than me. You grew up with it, exactly. Yeah, so from a young age, I've had social media since maybe like middle school. And, you know, as I've gotten older, it's a way to, to build your brand and, and connect with your fans. You know, the fans want to see a different side of you than what they see on the court. So if you're just being yourself, you know, on Twitter, Instagram, Instagram story, you know, that's what your fans really enjoy, just seeing a different side of your different personality that, that they might not see, you know, from just watching the games on the court. And, uh, you know, that's how you connect and build a brand. Exactly. Now, I was just reading an article earlier today that talks about social media in the NBA and basically poses the question, is it dangerous? And is, J.J. Redick is kind of the center of the article. And it interviews a lot of players, like Steph's in there. He talks about how he used to check it at halftime sometimes, and then shit could creep into his head. And, you know, if he's missing shots in the first half, and then he reads a comment or something. Do you believe it's dangerous? It can be. Um, there was a point in time when I was in college, you know, I had a, I had a, a rough stretch where I was, wasn't playing well, I was playing bad, and, and I was receiving nasty tweets and comments on Instagram and Twitter. And From Duke fans that were pissed that you went on the floor? Duke fans, college fans, people saying I was overrated, that I wasn't going to the league. And, you know, just being away from home and, and being so young, I, it got to me. And there was You were reading it every night? Every day, after practice, after the games, before the games. And there was a time where I, I deactivated my Twitter and Instagram for about six weeks just to get all the negative energy and attention away so I could just focus on, you know, what I needed to do. And it really, you know, made me happier because, you know, it was, it was kind of depressing. Just, it was, it was really bothering me and getting to me. And how did you, what made you take that step? Because you were obviously, because the article talks about a lot of players and not just players, but people are addicted to it. They can't put the phone down. Like there was a guy who was quoted saying, social media is this generation's cigarettes. Like that addicting. What was the thing that made you say, fuck this, I'm putting it down, I'm, I'm getting away from this? Uh, I mean, like you said, you know, kids my age, we're on our phone yeah. all day. Any chance we get, we're just on our phone. And you know, we either texting, Twitter, Snapchat, or Instagram. So we're just going back and forth. Did you have urges to get back on? And how, how long of a break did you take? And throughout that break, did you have like an urge like pulling at you like, check it, check it, check it? Yeah, I, I took about five, five and a half weeks where I just... That's a long time for a guy your age. That's an would, eternity. I would tap my roommate and be like, yo, go on Twitter. <laughs> see, let me see what happened on your phone. Because I, I knew if I opened it up back on my phone that I wouldn't be able to like deactivate it again. So I would, I would go on his phone if I needed to to see something. And did you tell anybody you did this? Did your mom know you had did this? Did anybody know? Well, I mean, your friends who didn't see you anymore on there. But did you tell anybody personally why you did it? Or did you keep that to yourself? I mean, I told my mom uh, because she could, she knew that, you know, she could see that stuff was bothering me, and you know, I eventually told her what was happening, and she was the one that kind of was like gave the idea of how about you just get off of it for 
a week and see how you feel because you know being that young and just seeing all this negative comments thrown at thrown at you can can really affect somebody like that. And these days, now that you're in the pros, you've established yourself as a really great player in the NBA. How often do you check it, or how soon do you check it after games? Do you check it during halftime, after the game? How soon? I try not to get on my phone at halftime. If, it, if, it, <laughs> if I do, it's because I know my mom texts me, so I go to text her back. But I, I don't really... Like when I was in college, I used to put my name in a search bar and, and search it. Like, what are people saying about me? At halftime? Not at, at college, we couldn't be on the phone. Got it. Like after the game. After the game. But now I don't do that anymore. I never search my name and see what people are saying. I, I don't read the comments on my Instagram. Like, uh, I've kind of left that behind me. Even when you have one of those great games? Nope. If I really? play really good or really bad, because I know if I play really good and I do it, I'm going to have to see if I play bad what somebody said. Exactly. Now, let me ask you, from your standpoint is now you're an NBA player, making money, building your brand on social. What do you think to this point has been the best business decision you've made as a pro? The best business decision? I mean, I, I, I keep saying it, but, you know, just being fortunate enough not to have to spend in, in the NBA money because, you know, unfortunately, guys get hurt. Um, things happen. And, you know, you know, for me having a kid and, you know, I'm just trying to save enough money and as much as I can for, you know, his kids and, and my great, great grandkids so that they can be financially stable, you know, in the future. And do you feel like a guy like you who's great high school player, McDonald's All-American, kind of destined to be a, an NBA player? And to your point, there's been many of those type of guys who don't make it, so you never know what happens. But then you went to Duke, which is a fine institution, a great university. Do you think you were prepared financially with the education to manage what happens when you become a pro? Yeah, I think I had a, a head start, you know, just you know, going to Duke and, you know, having my mom in my corner. But to sit up here and say that I was fully prepared, uh, no, because contracts. You know, before I got drafted, never read a contract, saw this fine print about this thick. <laughs> So, you know, you definitely... That's on purpose. Yeah, so you definitely need a lawyer, you know, somebody you trust, because, you know, you know, hear about a lot of times where, you know, they put in signed power of attorney and, you know, guys not reading it, and, you know, they just signed all their money away and, you know, lose it all. So, you know, I'm just thankful that I have my mom. Got it. Your mom sounds like a fantastic person. Do you, by the way, do you know, I'll tell you I don't know mine, do you happen to know your credit score at all? I do. You do? Uh-huh. Holy shit. She told me not to share it, though. Your yeah. mom? Yeah. You yeah. don't have to share it. I don't know, my, <laughs> I don't know mine either, but uh, I always ask people on the show that they know that because, you know, that's one of the things that they teach you you should know is financially. Being stable, but I don't know mine. Somebody should help me find mine one day. I'm going to call your mom, by the way. Give me your mom's one. <laughs> She'll teach me how to find it. And then also, as you think about, as you get older, you'll start thinking about, to your point, you struggled. So you and you became a great basketball player and put the work and have earned everything that you get and will receive. And then I'm sure at some point or maybe now you already started thinking about giving back. Have you started thinking about what your philanthropy side will look like and what you want to do and what you want to support? Have you thought about that yet? Of course, um, I'm I'm big into giving back, especially you know where I'm from, being from St. Louis. Uh, you know I, I I did a camp back in my high school and then I did a camp for two days in the city of St. Louis that was for free. I won Gatorade National Player of the Year when I was in high school and 
the winner got $10,000 to donate the charity of his choice. And I donated it to the local gym you know, that I, I grew up playing in, St. Louis. I did a back to school backpack giveaway. I did the, uh, a hurricane drive for the city of Houston. And I gave back to the Boys and Girls Club. And anytime I can do anything, especially in St. Louis, you know, I, I always want to leave you know, my mark and a legacy, you know, because that's just where I'm from. So two last questions before um, we go. What is the one thing, like, your kind of guilty pleasure that you spend money on that you wish you could stop spending money on, but you like, it could be dope sweaters, it could be ice cream, great watches, whatever. What is the thing that you like, damn, I wish, every time y'all go on the road, you're in Chicago, New York, wherever you're at, you go shopping, you might buy this thing or look for this type of thing. Is there anything you have? I mean... I didn't make all this money to save it all. Of course you can't. You can't. You can't <laughs> save it all. It would, all the jumpers you made in the gym and working out wouldn't be worth it if you saved every penny of it. I, I think the thing I spend most of, you know, my extra, extra money on is I like wearing nice clothes. You know, we can tell like by the Christian Dior sweatshirt. It's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and last one is a funny one that we always ask people coming to show. Obviously, you grew up struggling. You watched your mom struggle. As you said, your mom, grandpa, dad pitched in to get you a car. So you know what it means to struggle and you've been through that struggle. Is there a habit that you had when you were broke that you still keep, even though you have money now? I mean, I, only, I like taking straight flights. So I would fly Frontier or Southwest before I take uh, a layover just to fly first class. Just to fly first class and get a straight flight. You don't like taking layovers. So every time I go from here, because from here to St. Louis, they only have, Southwest is the only airline that flies direct. So I'll fly Southwest instead of getting on Delta to fly to Atlanta to St. Louis just to be first class. You take, you're fine with discount airlines. Yeah, I'll do that. We love that. He's, Jason Taylor is fine with discount airlines. Everybody, thank you guys for coming. Thank you for having Jason Tatum on the show. Give him a big round of applause. And that's going to do it for this episode of Needing Dough, the podcast presented by Uninterrupted and Chase. We'll be back with a new episode next week, but don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and drop us a review wherever you listen to your shows. Thanks again to our partners for this show, Chase. Head over to Chase.com to see what Chase has to offer. Our executive producers are myself, TD Say Matthew Daniel, and Ben Adair. And I'm Andrew Hawkins, a.k.a. Hawk, telling you what a wise person always told me. A penny saved is a penny earned.